0: Hello and welcome to the Beautiful Business Podcast. Beautiful Business is a community for leaders who believe there's a better way of doing business. We believe beautiful businesses are led with purpose by people who care, guided by a clear strategy, and soulfully grown. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Beautiful Business Podcast. My name is Yuan Sang, part of the Beautiful Business team, and this week we were joined by Chu Kao. Chu is the founder and CEO of Mintigo a complete and inclusive employee financial well-being solution. What they do is help employees lead financially happy and healthy lives. He's also the co-founder of Perkbox, the global benefits and rewards platform that allows companies to care for, connect and celebrate their employees no matter where they are and what they want. She was also incredibly involved in the entrepreneurial community through his investments, mentorships and non-exec board activities. His focus is primarily on businesses in the tech and social impact space. Let's talk about scaling the commercial performance of a business, given the current economic climate. As well, it's quite a pertinent topic to speak about because you know when the economy is looking a bit tough. When there are lots of headwinds, people talk a lot about headwinds, that's probably one of the first things that come to mind as a business leader is, right, okay, what do we need to do to make sure the commercial performance is going? And if you're scaling a business, how do you scale up performance? How do you make sure you continue that growth? So let's start off. If you could give us a quick rundown on your commercial growth experience, and perhaps if we speak specifically around your experiences around Perkbox and, and Mintigo.
1: Sure. So prior to starting Perkbox, my role was in marketing. And so that was my subject matter expertise. I used to work at Amazon and Microsoft in that department. And so when I transitioned to being an entrepreneur, working and growing Perkbox and Mintigo, really, that was an area that I just kind of doubled down on and really made sure that we are best in class in what we do. So at Perkbox, we're a B2B business. So it's all around B2B marketing and sales, obviously. It's very different from B2C, and you know, I was all B2C when I was at Amazon. Uh, I switched to B2B, so I kind of understand both sides of the coin. Very different, but in summary, at Perkbox, it's about generating leads cost effectively, B2B leads, SMEs that wanted to, you know, acquire perks and benefits for the employees, and having the right infrastructure lead generation. A lot of that was driven by inbound leads, so that experience around inbound lead generation is 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 very powerful. You get it right, but it's also quite risky if you get it wrong, because you can end up spending a lot of money and lose a lot of budget and have a cost of acquisition that goes through the roof. So it requires a bit of experience. So I think we're very fortunate to have that experience in the team to kind of grow that business. And we ended up spending hundreds of thousands of pounds of media per month, generating thousands of leads a month. This is coming from like Facebook, LinkedIn, Google, and having a sales team, a B2B sales team, closing those leads over the phone. That's, That's exciting. And I think what I can also say is that your sales function and your marketing functions will vary. As you get larger, and and there's almost like leveling up kind of capabilities that which I can go into. You can't jump steps necessarily. So that's the thing people don't understand is that you can only do certain things at a certain time and certain kind of budget afford for, for organizations. So I can unpack that a bit more, mm-hmm. but that's what I've learned through my growth at Perkbox. So with Mintical, we're actually an earlier stage, and so but I can see what's coming as well, but we're not there yet.
0: It's really interesting you made that point about if you get your lead generation wrong, it could be a very expensive exercise to go through. Certainly, you know, when we first met, some of the clients that I worked with at the time spent a huge amount of money on lead generation. And they would also generate a huge quantity of leads but their conversions were so poor, their sales process after the lead generation point was so poor that they would end up sinking loads of time, loads of resource into trying to convert these leads. And when I say their sales process, it wasn't always the sales process. Sometimes the leads aren't good enough quality, sometimes the sales effort isn't right. But what happens is you end up with a huge pile of leads that you have to get through and you end up spending a load of time, effort and energy and money going through these leads. So I could see it kind of go both ways, you know, in terms of, you know, you might think, Oh, we've got absolutely loads of leads off the back of this activity that we've done, but that's not necessarily a good thing still work out quite expensive in terms of that cost per acquisition i'm intrigued to by what you said there about the stages of growth that your sales and your marketing function goes through as you scale your business
1: unpack that for us what do you mean when you say that okay so when we're talking about bb business marketing here uh, bb business marketing and sales typically the, the stages that you develop are when you first start a business you would lean on outbound sales Outbound sales is very capital efficient. You know, you get an SDR, a sales development rep, or account exec. The SDR are the people who would generate the leads. Typically, would, you know, reach out to social selling on LinkedIn, you know, calling or emailing. The three main kind of sort of actions that you take, they book a demo, put it in the calendar, and the, the account exec takes it from there and runs the demo and closes the lead. That's work. That's a very sort of basic vanilla approach to it. There are lots of tools and technology that sits on top that helps facilitate that. But at a high level, that's the function. We have that at Mintigo. We had that at Perkbox. Now, what happens next is that depending on the organization and depending on the types of leads you generate or the the size of the clients you target, the next stage would vary. So, for example, if you're targeting SMEs, you typically can generate leads at volume quicker, faster, and you would probably want to you know, assign the value to these leads closer to the beginning of the funnel. For example, marketing would say, hey, look, you know, generate, say, 200 leads a month. A good lead is a lead that would attend a demo, for example. And that's sort of how you do it because they feel that like they can control quality lead to that stage. So we're talking about different stages of leads now. If you're talking a much larger organization with longer sales time, you probably want to assign the qualification further down the funnel, meaning it's an opportunity. Once they've done the demo, they realize it's a good prospect. They quoted the prospect, and that's where you want to link marketing with sales. in, like the marketing needs to drive a lead all the way down the front to a sales-qualified opportunity versus, uh, you know, in the stage before that. So that's the first area. So that's what we're talking about, like the outbound sales process. Now, if you have budget, and if you want to move on to the next leveling up event, and you want to generate inbound leads, there's a few ways we can do that. So the two main areas at Perkbox that we generate inbound one would be sort of demand generation. So that's about creating content, thought leadership, videos, what have you, and kind of sending that out so people can read or you get it through SEO and then book a demo through that. That's great because that helps augment the outbound. So it's not necessary to replace outbound. Now all of a sudden you have you know, 100% outbound, you get 90% outbound, 10% inbound. Okay, so that's demand generation. And the other bit, if you have the right skill and the right budget you can do lead generation through paid media so that that opens up another domain you know that looks like you know google ppc facebook linkedin depending on your product and what sector you focus on, you pick the channels that work for you. At Perkbox, we were... thinking thing about Perkbox is that we started doing that in 2014 when Facebook was really opening up the paid newsfeed. And that's the other thing about marketing, right? When you see a new channel and that's very cost-effective, you tend to jump on it because it gets you the returns quite quickly, right? Now, equivalent, maybe TikTok, for example, you know, you see now we're seeing ads on TikTok and Obviously, that's a different demographic from what we want, but it's a good example of like new channels that work and cost-efficient. And That's the key word. You can spend money, but what's the cost? Of, a cost of acquisition, and so you're leveling up from outbound to inbound. Inbound, you're now talking about demand generation, or you're talking about paid media. Get the right people, run those campaigns, test the landing pages, see if those leads qualify, and move on. At Perkbox, we were generating leads at such huge volumes. So, and we're talking about hundreds of thousands of pounds a month. And what does that equate to in terms of the assets? We were, you know, we had agencies cranking out hundreds of ads, hundreds of ad combinations, and just allowing the system to pick. So, what's really interesting is that I transitioned from what I liked in terms of what ads looked like to what the system wanted. And sometimes I just get so bored of seeing that one ad because I've seen it, you know, as a marketer, I've seen this ad, it's just so boring to me. But it's not boring for the person that's seen it the first time. (laughs) And so, you know, certain ads would just be like the evergreen ones that always work, right? And, you know, you double down on that and you kind of let it kind of run until it burns out in terms of saturation and so on and so forth. So that's leveling up to like, you know, inbound and you grow those two functions. Now you have good inbound, outbound. So the good thing about having that is that you diversify your channels, reduce the risk. You know, not one thing or any other will take your business offline if it doesn't work. I'm always paranoid about inbound because it's quite volatile because you're know, competing in a marketplace. The ads you put out, the, what you pay for can be outbid by another advertiser. But very interestingly now with the economic downturn, I'm anticipating a lot of cheap media and you know, things that are available because a lot of the advertisers aren't doing well. They're going to reduce the media spend and so Tough times create great businesses. This is a good example of that, where if you can ride through this economic downturn, have the great people around you and kind of push through these functions and succeed, good times are easy if you can get past the tough times. Definitely,
0: And it happens. I was working in media during the recession in 2008, and it was tough, you know, because your advertisers, your big spenders, they dried up. So it meant that you had loads of inventory, not very many buyers. Demand is through the floor, which means your prices go with them as well. So you're absolutely right. You know, tough times means there's opportunity, basically, isn't there, for the people who are in the position to take it? What would you say are the key drivers of growth of businesses that you've been involved in? What are the things that you kind of keep an eye on? What are the things that you mentioned that you're always paranoid about inbound? So clearly, there's stuff that you monitor within your organization, within your businesses. What are the things that you keep an eye on for growth?
1: For me, it boils down to having the right metrics. You know, it needs to be numbers driven, data driven. That's the only way that can relieve any kind of anxiety you may have is that you can see in on the dashboard what's going in, what's coming out, what are the metrics. What are like for example, you can look at your pipeline values. You know how many demos are we getting, how many leads, what's the quoted value, what's conversion rate from like demo to sales, and so you almost like a driver with a dashboard. You keep monitoring that, and the more comfortable you are with that, the more comfortable your team is with those metrics the more controllable the organization would be. And another way to represent this would be on a funnel basis as well. So the answer to that is like, it's really about having good, clear metrics that you define your functions and have everyone to kind of get bought into that. As a leader, you don't want to get too much into the weeds because then, you know, you allow your team the creativity to kind of find the right you know outcomes and you know, the right kind of channels to do. So another thing that I heard was quite, Powerful is from a management point of view is to create a company where you're tightly aligned but loosely correlated. So, what does that mean? Meaning, in terms of the vision and the goals, you're very aligned. Here's what we're trying to do. But in terms of correlation and when things happen, how they happen, keep it loose, allow them to that freedom to kind of move around as long as they're aligned with the vision. So, that's another way to kind of look at this and these problems like whatever ads you use, whatever channels, here's the budget. Okay, stick within the budget, stick within the cost of acquisition. Go, run with it, and see what you can find out. But if you hit those meters, those boundaries, those guardrails, then you know where to stop or at least come to me and let's talk about it. That's how you run a business and you empower them. Because if you don't get past that phase of, like I said before, in terms of delegating, allowing your talented team to take the reins, you'll never grow. You never get away from just that small business that you are in control of. And that's where the fun happens as well. When when things starts happening without you knowing. And that's the best thing about being a leader that you have realizing and seeing that the people around you are are growing the business because they can (laughs) and they have to. And having that kind of system in place allows you for that. 100%
0: it's a wonderful feeling isn't it when you've got that team and you shouldn't be surprised but sometimes you can't help but just think oh my goodness what a great job they've done you know without my input or without that input and it is an incredibly rewarding feeling from a business perspective beyond the commercial gains and all the rest of it is seeing that it's a human element right it's you know seeing people when they do well being able to praise them and the satisfaction that they get from their roles through doing their roles well and as you say our job is to I love that concept of guardrails you know hit the guardrails and give me a shout or you know setting those boundaries is a really lovely analogy. But as you say, it comes back down to culture. Well, let's touch on a second because it'll be really interesting to know your thoughts in terms of scaling your workforce at that kind of pace. And I imagine these guardrails, these the guidelines, you know, the framework that you give people so that they can still correlate, but they still align. But before we move on to that, in terms of the tools that you've used, I'm always learning from YouTube in terms of the tools and not just what tools are out there, but how to, you know, make them work for your business. What have been the most powerful tools as you've seen as being key for commercial growth, for commercial performance?
1: It's tools, but also people. So let's just kind of unpack the two here, right? So for Mintgo, and that's also for Perkbox as well, you know, I've noted the points of growth due to great hires. You know, they're like almost step changes. They hire a great manager and what have you. And you obviously see a tremendous amount of change. So for us right now, we're experiencing, you know, tremendous growth at Mintgo and at Perkbox as well. But with Mintgo, because I'm involved with it on a daily basis, we've got a great sales team. So what does that mean? There's a culture of learning. You know very disciplined and in, in terms of every stage of the, the pipeline and so once we have that you overlay the tools to make it go faster so for example what are the tools we use right so at the top of the funnel in terms of lead generation we have sdrs and so we use tools like automation for for linkedin messages or you know other sort of emailing messages so we use dripify which is basically and there's loads of these types of tools it's quite cheap actually it's like hmm. Fifty bucks to hundred bucks a month per license. You test it out, right? So what happens is that it helps you automate, you know, LinkedIn messages, emails. You know, you have data that you can really kind of go in through LinkedIn Sales Navigator and then really segment the audience. And each sales developer gets a portion every month or every week, kind of thing, and they just go after and, and hunt through that list. So that's top of the stage, and then the next stage would be obviously we have you, you couple that with data. So we use Apollo, Cognizant, great data sources. And you be on top of that. I think having data, especially B2B marketing is really, and sales is really important that you know who you're targeting and you're pacing yourself and don't burn through your data. That's the other thing, you know, that's, that boils down to like sales efficiency. So, you know, what are we doing? How much is it costing us to get to what we want to do? So data is a key part of that. So we use those data sources. Then we use the next stage of the funnel further down would be, we use Gong. So G-O-N-G.io. It's a software, it's expensive, but you can get some deals out there. But basically what it does, it records all your calls, transcribes it, pulls out keywords. You can create notifications for every video, every demo. If the agent says something or doesn't say something, as a manager, you can get those notifications. And that's how they do training. And so we say, look, you've got... And also the amount of time you speak versus the prospect speak. So you want to get that sort of, you know, 60, 40, 70, 30, you know, good balance of you speaking a bit more, but not 90% of the time, right? You need to allow them to engage. So these are powerful metrics that powerful tools. I mean, that overlays a good system of training that the manager has in place. And so that's has gone. And then we use HubSpot CRM. So I really encourage you to really learn how to optimize whatever CRM you have. That's your bread and butter, like how to make sure that different stages are well kind of tuned and data is passed through. And if you don't get that right or don't preach the infrastructure, you will pay later as you scale because that would break down. And I remember at Perkbox, we had Salesforce and the implementation had to be redone a couple of times and it was just painful. You know, at one point we allowed everyone to, (laughs) it's a bad idea, allowed everyone to create their own fields, which is a bad idea. And so like, Yeah. yeah, You know, the the drop down became like a hundred different sort of choices. Like, okay, this is not going to work. We've got to have like 10. So who created all these? And the person who's created probably left. So you're stuck with a Frankenstein of infrastructure. So that's really what it takes. You know, having the right team leader who understands how to manage, coach people, use technology, and also thirdly, most importantly, have the right infrastructure and agree across the organization, this is how you want to scale. And that means understand what data is important to capture how to display that and how to kind of create the infrastructure within the CRM. And you do not want to change the plumbing later on. Lay down the foundation, the plumbing, and allow that to scale and think creatively. So what if we do multi-country or multi-product? What does that look like, right? And multi-year, you know, licenses. So all these things add to the infrastructure. But if you have some planning ahead and create that foundation, whatever you build on top, it's going to allow you to scale much, much faster. So I can't stress enough how important that is.
0: I just want to take a quick minute to say thanks to our trusted partners, Crystal Hosting. Crystal is a B Corp powered by 100% renewable energy and has a goal of planting 1 billion trees by 2030. Crystal Service is super fast and super reliable and they're genuinely really nice people. We're super picky over who we work with as partners at Beautiful Business and we're delighted to count Crystal as one of them. Back to the podcast. Solid advice. I think I've gone through a similar experience with you with the Salesforce rebuild. It is so painful and it's really expensive as well, you know, to get the people in to do that. So as you're right, absolutely right. And again, it comes back to that self-discipline and giving yourself as the leaders of the businesses, the chance to kind of think about these sorts of things. As you say, be creative and to really kind of horizon scan, you know, what would the business look like in three years, five years, 10 years time? What does a CRM system that we need to support that kind of vision need to look like? And as you say, it's not kind of like get it built right now, but it's getting the foundations in place, you know, that functionality, if we might need that functionality in two and a half years, and we need to make sure that we build in towards that direction, even if we don't buy the plugin straight away and things like this. You have mentioned a few times in there too about people having good people and hiring the right kind of people in. One question that I've got, when you are scaling your workforce at that kind of pace, and I guess particularly with a sales team or a commercial performance team, you know, those types of roles can be quite transient. You know, some people kind of come, they kind of go and things like this. All of these factors combined means that building and maintaining that culture that we've spoken about that's so important can be really tricky and i guess one of the challenges that have come through from the pandemic is when you are in a hybrid situation when you've got remote workers and things like that how do you maintain that culture because you speak so passionately about it how do you maintain that culture how do you maintain that identity but also allowing i suppose that yourself the opportunity to spot any potential problems that might be arising or even some of the opportunities to celebrate that might arise as they say when we were in the office and sat next to each other somebody close a great job you know or you get somebody comes in looking a little bit not themselves then again you can pick up on that and you can go but how do you do it when you're working remotely especially when you're scaling so quickly so before i answer that question it's one point i want to make about just hiring people
1: and scaling when you run a company you want to scale quickly there are really just two limiting factors that you should be really really concerned obsessed about first managing your costs, you burn your runway, how much money you have in the bank, right? How you spend your money. And the other is recruitment. Hiring the best people unlocks growth, unlocks creativity, unlocks a better culture. So, and I've had this conversation in the past with other colleagues and partners. And sometimes we worry about, you know, performance of people and letting them go. And then we dig a bit deeper and realize, you know what, we're not worried about these people. We're worried about finding a replacement. We're worried that we can't find the right people to replace them. That's the real worry. And so I think that's for me was a light bulb moment. It's like, okay, how do we become the employer of choice? How do we attract the very best talent? And if we have that, people lining up to join us, it's much easier to say, hey, look, you can do better because we can find better. I mean, in a way, you know, you want to optimize for the organization. And that's how it always needs you need to think. It's like, you know, you need to level up, everyone needs to level up in the most supportive and collaborative way. But it's like in school, right? You need to get good grades. You have to study. You have the other students going to get the higher grades and they're going to be higher in rankings. Same kind of healthy, competitive nature. But what drives that? That's recruitment, okay? And then being good at recruiting, being good at identifying talent. If you can't recruit, nurture them. Make sure they grow and become that talent that you want or find that talent that you want. So there are two options there, right? And so that's that. The second point around managing culture in the remote world. It's it's hard. It really is. I think the hardest time for me was that transition from right in the beginning of COVID where I knew a few of these people in person and then all of a sudden it became a remote relationship. That was hard because that was the transition from okay, I'm used to seeing you at the office, what's going on now? I, you know, but once you start hiring people remotely and building that sort of remote first culture, it's actually easier. You've learned I've learned over the years, the last few years, to kind of have regular stand ups in the morning and always over communicate. I think that's something really important. Use of emojis, <laughs> you know, use a lot of that, just kind of pad the text with a bit of emojis. It all really helps. Encouraging people to celebrate more on Slack, whatever medium you use, and just normalize that. And that's really the best translation of what we have from a terrestrial to a digital world. But you need to set the example. You need to say, hey, look, is It's not spam, you create the culture, the souls, carry on, you know, posting to the feed and create a channel for these types of things and channels for that thing. That's the only way to kind of overcome that. But that's the way of the future. You have to be good at remote management and have the tools in place. But a lot of people initially saw the dark side of having remote culture, you know, distributed workforces where you don't have no idea what they're doing, you know. You just have to trust people. And, but then again, it forces you to be a better manager. To my point, again, great management, you know, relies on this thinking that I I believe in where people are highly aligned with the goals and loosely correlated with the actions. So they can do what they need to do, but as long as they're hitting the goals and metrics, you should be all right. You know, like I said, putting those guardrails so they deviate beyond what is acceptable, you have the framework in which to address that. And then you get better at managing that bit of your world as a manager, you know, setting the goals, the vision, making it really clear and allowing them to do what they need to do. So if you don't have that structure, you can't be a great manager. That's where the friction comes in. You start thinking, hey, what did you spend, you know, last hour doing and this and that and the other. It's like that becomes a downward spiral sometimes. Mm -hmm. So it's hard to kind of get out of that sometimes for certain managers.
0: Fabulous. That's such good advice to you. And in terms of hiring really good people, I'm very much gonna take your point. If you're the employer of choice, if you kind of, you know, have the right kind of culture and you've got the right kind of employee experience, you want to create that desire, applications from potential employees and things like this. Do you have any advice when it comes to recruiting and make sure you get the best people? What lessons have you learned in that space?
1: I think leadership is really important. You know, at least from my experience, you know, at Perkbox and Atman Tool, they look at who the founders are, what they do, are they authentic? You know, is it a culture that connects with them so share as much as you can this interview is really important as it can use as a hiring tool where is to say look you know, what does he care about what does he talk about how does he relate to people what are the values you know people relate to other people and I think the more authentic the more transparent you are as a company the easier it is to attract the right talent so that's really what I advise now obviously with social media Glass there are lots of ways in which people can lift the lid and see what is it that's happening and why are people leaving why are people coming so I think the only way to kind of survive that is to be authentic. You can't fake it, really. But sometimes people don't celebrate enough. So I'd say, like if you have good times, team outings, take photos, share that. You know, these are things that do happen. You know, don't forget to celebrate. Just like in your own lives, when you have birthdays, take photos, otherwise you don't see them in the future. So that's that. I think really there's no real silver bullet. It's about kind of displaying what you have, celebrating success. We use LinkedIn a lot in terms of showcasing what we do. So some employees love culture and gravitate to culture as a key decision others more technicals hey look how's the company doing you know team growth what did they talk about you know what are the topics that they kind of index high on obviously have that as well we use linkedin for both we celebrate new joiners we talk about you know we just found 50 million pounds of pensions for example it's a big win got some great clients great brands as a customer so all these things are great and that builds that sort of picture of the business you keep doing that really there's nothing more than that and lastly. You know, great people know other great people. So leverage the networks that you have within your organization as you grow, but that becomes more and more valuable. Salespeople are very, very socially cohesive. So, you know, when one salesperson finds a great job when a gig and making a lot of money, I'm sure he'll tell his old mates from his past employers, <laughs> I found a good one here. <laughs> we going to make a lot of commission come over. So things like that can happen as well.
0: 100%. And I guess that, that taking that position as the employer choice and celebrating those things is so important and also thinking about it from all the different elements that a potential candidate of might go from. In terms of your recruitment process, and I suppose it comes back to that question about remote. You mentioned that hiring remotely now means that, you know, that kind of hybrid culture is a bit more commonplace. But were there any kind of lessons that you learned in terms of the actual hiring, in terms of the interviewing and things like that? Was there anything that you kind of picked up over the last couple of years that you found worked really well?
1: Nothing really different. You just have to kind of translate that into videos. Sometimes it's actually easier because you can share screen, you can show the platform, you know, you can interact with that rather than having in person. You may not have that sort of natural kind of inclination to kind of demo the product. You can do that online. You can do recordings. You can do lots of great things that you can do now that it's remote. So don't always see it as a bad thing. For most of what we do, it's actually a positive because we're leveraging technology (laughs) to allow us to screen, to record. To optimize our pipeline, so hiring is like a sales function. You pipeline talent, you you know send out leads, you see what's out there. So it's no different from sales. And so you optimize our sales funnel, you optimize our hiring funnel. So right now at Minsk, we actually have a pipeline of candidates ready to join as we scale already. So that's a great feeling, right? Because the people are waiting the wings because they're keen to join. But like I said, use the tools that you have for sales. That's a good you know advice to record and to understand what clients work. And obviously you have the basic, the questions you ask, the different functions that you have you know come into play in terms of let's say a technical interview or a culture interview, like understand who does what, not have too many overlaps, and then you have the hiring committee come together
0: and agree. That's good. The only thing that made me just go there was a hiring committee. There's always somebody, isn't there, that doesn't quite connect. It's just trying to get that over. So I just want to ask you one more question. When you reflect back on your success of Perpbox and the growth of Mintigo, if you had to isolate one thing that you felt made the biggest difference to the commercial growth of these organizations, what do you think it would be?
1: It's simple. It's people. Have the right people. And the right people can only do great things if you have the right management. So you get the right people, and then you make sure that you are you're doing great people a disservice if you're not being a great manager. That's really the other way to think about this. So it's up to you and to level up and improve your management as a leader, improve your communication, because you found great people. It needs to coexist. You can't have one without the other to have a great company.
0: Thank you so much for joining us for this week's episode of the Beautiful Business Podcast. And thank you very much to Chu for joining us, sharing his experiences in founding, starting and growing Perkbox and Mintago. Thank you for joining us for this week's Beautiful Business Podcast. Beautiful Business is a community for leaders who believe there's a better way to do business. Join us next time for more interesting discussions on how businesses can bring about change, helping communities, building a fairer society, and safeguarding the planet. You can also join in the discussion at www.beautifulbusiness.uk